Hey everyone, I am Kristen Robinson. I am the music publishing reporter at Billboard. I'm here to moderate a really exciting panel on a very important topic that I think is just now kind of starting to get out into the mainstream. Um, this is called a, the creator boom and how the industry can transform. But honestly, more accurately, it's about how the industry is already transforming. Things are moving very fast nowadays, I'm sure, as you all know, uh, there are you know, somewhere between 60 to 100,000 songs coming out every single day on Spotify. And that is unprecedented for this industry. Um, you know, things have just changed so much as a consequence of that. We have more DIY and independent talent than ever, and the market share is moving further and further away from having the big majors controlling, you know, all of the big acts to having a lot more artists you know, doing things on their own. And that has a lot of interesting consequences. So we are going to talk all about that today. Um, and I wanted to have my wonderful panelists introduce themselves. Jake, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little about yourself? Cool, yeah, my name's Jake. I'm, uh, I'm an artist and uh, I kind of made my first blow up on TikTok and um, Instagram and stuff like that, but I'm a singer, songwriter, producer. Awesome, Michael? Hi, and I'm not Jake. <laughs> Uh, my name is Michael Huppy. Uh, I'm president and CEO of Sound Exchange, which hopefully a lot of you in the room know, know who we are, but we're, we're in the middle of a lot of these digital issues helping to get creators paid fairly for their work wherever it's used. Awesome, awesome. Well, just to start off, actually, in case any of you guys are not aware already, Michael, can you give us like a little bit of a taster into what Sound Exchange does every sure. day? Sure, so Sound Exchange, <clears throat> excuse me, Sound Exchange is a company that sits in the middle of sort of music, data, and technology. Um, our mission is to sort of power the future of music and make the industry work a little bit better. We historically, for the first, you know, 15 years of our life, we're, this is our 20th anniversary, but we focused on distributing digital royalties from um, non-interactive radio. So think Sirius XM, Pandora. In the old days, it was Yahoo Music. And, uh, and that we're now paying out over a billion dollars a year to artists and record labels. But we do a lot of other things as well. We have a publishing company. We do data work. We're pushing data standards in the industry. Uh, and we do a lot of advocacy on behalf of creators because creative efforts fund so much of the wealth out there you know, on these platforms. And creators should participate fairly in what they do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think what's so exciting about this lineup here today is that we have the perspective of industry and artist. Um, so I wanted to kind of start off, Jake, by asking you, if you could kind of explain how you got started as a DIY artist, making your own music and trying to help yourself get seen and how you first got seen. Yeah, so it's funny. I actually started off just as a songwriter and producer trying to write for other artists. And it was never really my intent to become an artist and blow up and stuff like that. But uh, over quarantine, I uh, saw that people were posting stuff on TikTok and I had this funny idea to... Have, uh, make a beat and then make it look like my mom made it in five minutes. And so it went completely viral. And at that moment, I realized how powerful uh, this new algorithm was. Um, you could be anybody. And if you have a, a good idea, um, you can use the power of the algorithm to reach people. And so from that point on, I uh, thought, you know, maybe I should start putting my, my own songs into this algorithm and see what happens. And um, yes, from there, I've just been DIY, um, independent, and uh, just been releasing music uh, and, yeah, doing my thing. 
I love that. And I also wanted to kind of ask you about, uh, you definitely had some offers out there from labels. You had a lot of options because your music has done so well. Um, and I wanted to kind of ask you about your decision to stay independent and what you have to do as an independent artist to make sure you have a successful career without the help of a label these days. Yeah. No, it's it's really cool because um, there were so many different options, so many different things. And uh, it was definitely a hard decision for me to make because I just had, you know, so many people pressuring in different directions and all of the deals looked really appealing and, you know, it's a very safe option, you know, take the check up front and, you know, then you'll have to recoup it over maybe five to 10 years, but, um, you know, it's a better safe than sorry sort of thing. But, um, in that moment I was just like, you know, I've, I've seen how, how much I've been able to grow on my own. And I'm just curious to see how much further we can go. And so um, as of right now, you know, we're, we're trying to test out to see where that ceiling is and kind of, you know, do it for the greater good for, for the artist that thinks, no, I can't make it because I'm not signed to a major label. Like, I want to, you know, encourage that artist and show them and see how high that ceiling is nowadays. And so, um, yeah, the most important thing is just for me to to keep pushing, keep being creative on how to get my music out there and ultimately focus on the music, uh, number one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Michael, I wanted to kind of ask you about, uh, we're having this growing cohort of successful independent artists, but there's a lot more added responsibility when you stay independent to try to keep your career moving forward and upward. How are you guys at Sound Exchange reaching out to independent artists? And are you noticing if there's a higher level of education among these independent artists these days? Well, you're absolutely right that, um, you know, the lower barriers to entry and DIY means, you know, create, creators are exploding, which is awesome. Uh, you know, we're having so much more people enter into the system. You know, 20 years ago, obviously, there were sort of very specific lanes you entered in through, through very specific types of organizations, and that's how you got into the business. Now we don't have that, and it's, I think it's fascinating, and um, it's great, very fertile for the industry. The problem with that is what used to be a little bit more orderly, I mean, sometimes it almost feels like chaos out there, where you have just all these different people, all these different platforms, um, and part of what we do at Sound Exchange is sort of bring order to the chaos. Uh, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like Visa. You know, everyone in here has a credit card, right? Probably everyone in here has five credit cards. Among 400, you know, 4,000 banks that <clears throat> you can use in a billion different places around the planet, but they all work because there's sort of the back end where the data and the metadata works. That's what the music industry should be like, and we're trying to move in that direction. Um, I, I will tell you that more and more of the artists like Jake they are very, very, I'm not saying that because he's sitting here, they're very sophisticated and knowledgeable about the industry, uh, what they need to do, you know, they're very tied into the different revenue streams, so um, so they come to the come to the party really educated, but one of the things we do to, to try to reach out to artists, we're always at South By, South By is a great place for us to, to you know, connect with artists, um, so one thing we do, for instance, we get the, uh, the, the list of all the bands coming every year to South By. We compare it against our list of unpaid accounts, and we put posters everywhere. You know, hey, do you know this act? We have money. Everybody thinks they're getting punked, you know, or it's some sort of scam. Um, but as it turns out, you know, a lot of them still coming here right at the early stages still don't, don't know all the places they have to sign up, and Sound Exchange is absolutely one of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I think one of the things that Michael and I talked about yesterday when we met up uh, we were talking about kind of how the music industry, yeah, yes, we're going through a very transformative time, and in many ways that's very exciting. And it also presents so many challenges. 
one of those major challenges is that we kind of have this superstar status where you hear about Taylor Swift and Bad Bunny breaking all these millions of records. And uh, it seems like things are going great when you look at those. And then you also, at the other side, have the brand new large scale of DIY artists that are just getting started, maybe not making enough to make a living quite yet. We don't have too much of a middle class anymore. Um, and so, Michael, I wanted to kind of just ask you about the musical middle class. Like, what are some ways that we can help bolster that? And how can Sound Exchange be a part of that? Yeah, it is, it is an issue that you're seeing more and more about, especially in the streaming, streaming economy. You know, people are talking about different ways of payment. You know, there's um, maybe, maybe uh, calculating who gets paid how differently. A lot of you probably know about user-centric, uh, the user-centric debate and whether or not we should pay artists differently. Um, but, but it is true that, you know, in terms of what Sound Exchange does, you asked what we do for, for middle class. We, we pay much more broadly than, you know, terrestrial FM radio play because there's a much broader uh, bandwidth on the internet. And so, you know, I think of, for instance, um, I, one thing that comes to mind, I remember there was a, a, a band that probably none of you have heard of, but it was a, you know, middle tier band trying to make it, but they weren't yet at Jake's level in a van, you know, living out of a van, going gig to gig, crashing on friends' couches, and they were about to give it up. You know, they were, they were just at the end of the road, because it is hard, it is hard for to sure. be a musician. And we uh, caught up with them, told them, hey, we have money for you from these services, and our payment to them, you know, was, was what made them keep going, and not just because of the money, because, I mean, the money helps, and it helped, funded, you know, helped fund their tour for the next little bit, but really it was more about validation. It, for them, it was the chance to see... And kind of like what Jake was saying, wow, you know, there's people out there who are, who like my music. Maybe I really can make a living at it. So mm -hmm. if you're a mid-tier artist, you have to be really mindful of all those little places you can get just maybe the little, little bit you need to keep you going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Jake, I wanted to ask you, because you've managed to turn viral moments into a sustainable and like very upward moving music career. Um, and I feel like one of the things that you've talked about a lot is connecting with your fans, using all of the tools that are available to you to connect with them. How important is it to be interactive in this day and time with your fans, and how are you doing that? Yeah, so um, for me, like, I'm always trying new things. I think um, there's always this balance of, you know, being able to to fund what you're trying to do, you know, because it takes time and you, you need to have money to be able to do things. But at the same time, you, you want to balance that with real impact. Um, as an artist, you know, that's something that I'm super passionate about is just truly making an impact with the music that I'm making and the person that I am. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's always so much um, joy that I find in connecting with my fans and, you know, hearing the stories that they've had with my music and so um, you know I have all sorts of different ways and I'm always looking through um, my DMs talking to different people and um, you know looking at my discord um, all sorts of different platforms and ways to connect with my fans and ultimately now I have a tour coming up and I'm really excited to just connect in person with with my fans and I think that's really important for for a modern artist just to to know that there's real people it's not just numbers you know you're impacting real people's lives. Yeah, I mean, was that surprising to you because you were really grinding, you know, during the pandemic and going out of it? Was it shocking when you finally got to meet some fans in person to see, like, how real the impact was of your songs? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you get all these numbers and you're pretty much locked inside your house all day for, for months on end. And, 
you don't really know what those numbers mean. Um, but but the truth is that you know a lot of people are having random viral moments here and there. And so you always want to be real with yourself of like, okay, is this just another stupid viral moment that really doesn't have an impact or is this really reaching people? And so, um, you know, through my journey, I've seen, you know, certain videos, they may get a lot of views, but it might not impact people and really connect. But then on the other side, you know, there's certain styles of videos that I've found um, really just have a personal touch to them. And so, um, yeah, in the in the middle of quarantine, you know, all this stuff was happening, and now I'm really actually able to see what what impact uh, all of the stuff I've been doing has been having on people. That's so cool. I I think one of my favorite things that you've done, and I would love for you to speak to it, is uh, your collaboration with Band Lab. Uh, you put up the stems for Golden Hour so that fans could actually participate in remixing your song. Can you tell me a little more about that and why that was important? Yeah, sure. I think you know. A lot of artists like to maintain this this mystique about them and this just untouchable nature. And I just feel that um, at least my generation is just very much, you know, we want something real and authentic and we want to be able to interact with people who inspire us. And so um, any way that I can do that, I love, you know, to just connect with aspiring musicians. And, um, you know, it's, it's opened up the door for a lot of really cool collaborations. And um, I've heard so many cool renditions of my songs just from putting, you know, the, the stems, the audio files onto BandLab. And um, yeah, I just, I just think it's an awesome way for, for artists to, to connect and, you know, maybe help out somebody on their way up. Yeah, yeah. And Michael, I feel like another thing that I, I thought was so interesting when we got to connect earlier was you talking about um, how, you know, you've worked through the piracy of like cassettes to CDs to digital downloads to streaming. You've seen a lot of change. Can you talk to me a little bit about how the industry has had to evolve and if you think it's a good time to be a rising artist or not? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want to date myself, but um, when I first got into the industry, literally, you know, they were going after, uh, you ready for this? Pirate cassette, uh, full-blown, high, you know, high-cost pirate cassette operations. Uh, and that was not that long ago. Um, and, you know, it's, it has gone through everything that you mentioned, to CDs, to streaming. Uh, well, first it was downloads, and now the the biggest change is what, used to be an ownership model. You know, the industry for 80 years has been built around ownership. Yeah. You, everything you do was to sell CDs or to sell, you know, most, you know, for the younger people in the audience, there used to be these big black things called LPs. They're about this big. They're made of vinyl. You know, and everything was for sale. You, why'd you go on tour to sell records? Why'd you get on radio to sell records? You know, now radio pays, except, well, most radio pays, not, not <laughs> FM radio. So, um, and that's how the whole industry was built. And now um, people own very little, and it's all about um, access. So uh, the industry has evolved, I think. You, you people criticize the industry, but I actually think they've come a long way. Record labels now are very different than they used to be um, because they've adapted to, the, to, to what's going on. Um, and you know, the artists, especially the younger up-and-coming artists, have, have really grabbed onto it and seized it. Yeah, I love what you said about access because I think that's something that, Jake, you do very well. Um, can you tell me about, uh, I'm sure you've heard from people of various generations within music, either musicians or industry folks, uh, talking about whether or not they think it's a good time to be a rising artist. Uh, what would you say to that? Do you think it's a good time to be coming up? Yeah, I would say it's it's probably the best time ever in history, uh, simply because, um, 
you can make music from your bedroom. You can put it out from your bedroom. Um, you can access equipment from your bedroom. It can get shipped to your house. And it's all relatively, you know, you can have cheaper options and make amazing music. And so um, all of those, you know, gates to entry that used to be there are just pretty much gone. And so um, I think that's why we see so many people releasing songs now. And I can only imagine in the next 10 years as people really grab a hold of this and realize, you know, I can make music and it's, it's really not that expensive and um, I can promote it myself. You know, I think we're going to see a lot of new artists, up and coming artists um, who have a very similar story to me. And, you know, if I could add on to that, too, it's not just that you can do stuff from your, you know, your bedroom with awesome equipment, which, by the way, is a great thing that it happened during the pandemic. Um, but uh, there's new products and new ways of the, you, things are being monetized in a way that no one would have thought of monetizing 10 years ago. So not only is it easier access for artists to get into the game, but there are some interesting ways for them to try to uh, make money on their craft that would not have been possible, um, you know, Virch, for instance, virtual merch, you know, on, in the metaverse. That we weren't talking about that 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, can you go a little bit deeper into that and talk a little bit more about how monetization for artists has changed and what, what avenues are actually being very lucrative for artists these days? Well, uh, again, it's, it's really, um, it's a bunch of different revenue streams. Artists now are brands. You know, they weren't they weren't brands 20 years ago. And now um, it, it's not just about the music. It's about uh, affiliated partnerships, and maybe they have a product line. And then once you, you know, when you get into things like Web3, whenever that comes, whatever that is, we all have different definitions. Um, the uh, there are new products and new ways to tap directly into some of your highest paying fans. Um, the, where you can have a, a direct financial connection, they get a direct financial um, uh, engagement with the the artist, uh, and you know. And by the way, the payment can often happen immediately. Uh, so it's just a totally we're heading into a very very different world than than we've been used to for several decades. Yeah, and um, Jake, how do you balance? content creation with music creation. Uh, I know some, some artists really struggle with maintaining that balance, um, oftentimes don't even like creating content. Can you talk a little bit about your philosophy on that? Yeah, for sure. I think as it started out, um, it was definitely more so a grind that I recognized how powerful it was. And I realized like, if I can understand how this stuff works and, and ultimately, you know, it's all a mission to connect with people personally. And so, um, as much as it's like algorithm, all this big talk, it's also just reaching people where they are and being authentic. And, you know, we've seen that the algorithm really rewards that. And so, um, there's definitely a balance that I have to find. Um, you know, every artist likes doing different things. You know, there's certain artists that um, love to write songs or they love to tour, they love to perform, um, or they love to make music videos, make um, content videos. So I think it really just depends on the type of artist uh, that the artist is. And um, for me, I, I love writing songs and I just love the raw element of, you know, just throwing up my phone and playing the song and seeing if people like it. And so, um, yeah, I'm always trying to find that that balance. And I think that, you know, part of growth for me is to um, just really expand my team so that um, I can stick to what I'm best at. And I think that, you know, at first, every artist has to do it all themselves, which is great because you're learning and you're growing. Um, and then you can teach a team how to do it for you. And so, um, yeah, but some people love different parts, and so you just keep doing what you're best at. Yeah, I, I imagine there's probably a few 
independent or aspiring artists in the room. Can you talk a little bit about building your team and like what happened first for you? How did uh, how did you get to where you are where you have a team that can help you? Yeah, I think it's it's really important that um, every up and coming artist has a very tenacious mindset. I think without you know hard work and just commitment to learning and growing and you know commitment to overcoming every obstacle. You might not know the solution every time, but just that heart to just keep going. I think that without that, I definitely wouldn't have, you know, uh, gotten through some of these obstacles. But um, I think, you know, it starts with the artist, like you yourself have to really go after it. And then as you grow, you have more opportunities. You know, eventually um, I had, I got a manager on my team and, and he helped out with tons of stuff. And um, actually, uh, I work with my brother, and we actually have been doing everything together since day one. And so having people you can trust on your team is really important. But I think generally, like, you'll know when you have a need. Um, but at first, just focus on being self-sufficient um, because then, you know, I think you have the the ability to now. There's really no excuses. Every artist can, if they work hard enough, they can they can figure out pretty much anything about the industry and, and overcome that. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how it looked for me. But now you know, just continuing to build a, a support system to really keep me doing what I'm best at. Yeah, so are there any independent artists that inspired you as you were making your decision of whether or not you wanted to sign? Yeah, for sure. There's There was actually, you know, I think <laughs> it was a tough, tough lesson to learn, but so late in my career, but I'm glad I finally learned it, is, um, you know, a lot of up-and-coming artists will, in that, you know, self-sufficient, independent mindset, they're like, yeah, I don't really need anybody's help. I don't need to talk to anybody. Like, I know what I'm doing. I'm um, blazing my own trail. Um, but really what informed that decision to stay independent was I felt just, like, deep down, I was like, you know, I feel like we should just keep doing what we're doing. Don't switch it up. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. I felt that deep down. Um, and then I went and talked to other artists who were both signed and unsigned. And um, there's a number of people, I don't know if they'd want me to share their names, but there was a number of really well-known artists that were kind enough to, to talk to me and, and give me just the lay of the land. And, and it really gave me some good perspective to know, hey, like maybe this is the right direction for you. Yeah, yeah. So Michael, I wanted to kind of circle back to something that you mentioned earlier. You mentioned metadata. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people in the industry are talking about, maybe something that not everyone else outside of the industry is aware of. Um, but that's one of, it seems to be one of the major challenges as we have more and more DIY artists, uh, you know, who don't have teams at all trying to handle metadata. Can you explain what these issues are and how it impacts a sound exchange royalties and other royalties? Sure. So metadata is data about data, right? So it's, it's, <laughs> When you have, you know, you're, you all think of the recording you hear that comes out the speaker, but uh, out of the speaker, but backing that up are things like, you know, who's the artist? What are the different industry codes that go with it? ISRC, ISWC, who wrote the song? Who played the backup vocals? You know, what album was it on? And all that stuff is critical because in today's streaming world where 85%, 85% of the U.S. recorded music market is streaming, and it's that metadata that determines where the money goes, especially as we're blowing up. Again, we're talking about the creator explosion and you know, sound exchange. We're, we're digital natives. We were built to scale. We were born into the digital world. So uh, from, from the time we were born, we were focused on scaling and scaling up. You know, to give you an example, um, we process 36 billion performances a month. We have 3,700 services that send us data. We have 600,000 accounts. We pay out 
every month, and we pay out almost a, over a, over a billion dollars a year. So uh, when you and what makes all that work and work better is if the data is correct. So when we get feeds from labels, when we get feeds from services, when we have artists like Jake sign up, um, and you know the more accurate and filled out their metadata is, it just it removes friction from all of that, and it makes the money flow a little bit better. And you know. Uh, you know, we're, we're in the music industry, right? And um, it is about music. Music is the first word, but it's an industry as well. And if you want people like Jake to keep coming up and have incentive to get it, the, the payment needs to flow properly so that people can make a living at this. And the metadata is very critical. It's not the sexy part of the business. It's not why anyone enjoys it. Uh, Jake, is that, is that why you started, started doing what you do? Cause I love metadata. No, <laughs> Got to get my database correct. Ah, oh, it's so awesome. Um, <laughs> It's not why anybody does it, but uh, your life will be substantially different if you do it well. Yeah, I mean, are there any resources out there for artists to get more information on how to correct their data and make sure that it's all good? Yeah, I mean, we have stuff on our website. We have FAQs on our website that talk about um, about you know the stuff. We actually, uh, so I don't. People may not know this. ISRC is sort of the the golden number in the recorded side of the industry. It's the code that is sort of like a serial number for a recording, right? And uh, there's, a, there's a worldwide, there are you know, hundreds of millions of ISRCs out there, but they weren't organized anywhere in one place. So several years ago, we took about doing that. And if any of you need to know any of the metadata associated with a recording, or maybe you just have an ISRC number um, and you uh, you know, you need to know all the information attached to it. You can go to our website and look it up for free. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's on our website, and uh, we have uh, over 100 million uh, ISRCs in our sound recording database now. So that's a good place to start. Uh, publishing has its own set of metadata challenges and issues. Whole other can of worms. <laughs> we also Not are in the today. publishing <laughs> business, so I'm familiar. We have a publishing company as well, music publishing company in Canada, so very familiar with that as well. Um, it's complicated. You know, I... Um, the music industry is a very interesting industry because uh, you have to go, if you, it, it didn't used to be that bad to get licensing when you were just putting a 12-track CD out. But now if you want a 70 million or 80 million uh, repertoire, if you're Spotify or Apple, you have to get all this data for 80 million tracks and you have to go several different places for each track. You know, there's publishing, um, and, and it's just very complex. So it, it helps, uh, like Jake was saying earlier, to learn this and or have someone who helps you through it uh, because it's it's sort of the foundation of how you're going to build your career. I I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, you know Sound Exchange is a newer company. It is you know always founded with digital in mind, um, but most of the industry wasn't. It was from you know 80 to 100 years ago. Can you talk about why the industry can be so difficult to navigate for artists uh, in terms of like the digital economy that we're living in now? Uh, partly because, again, you have to go so many different places to get the rights. If you want to use a movie clip, you know, let's say you're making a video and you want to use a movie clip, you know, you go to the studio and you get all the rights that you need. It's, it's just much differently organized. Um, it's not, that's not the way it is uh, in, in our industry. And as you said, it's because it was built around a simpler time where physical product was what everybody talked about. So, um, I mean, literally, we, we use the term mechanical. You hear the term mechanical out there. We use that because it refers to piano rolls. So we have, yes. we have structures <laughs> in the industry that date back over 100 years. And, you know, 
you can't just change an industry overnight. You have to work with what you have and gradually move. Uh, like I said, Sound Exchange was lucky enough to not have any of that um, history or baggage, if you want to call it. We, didn't, we don't have to change from how we used to be because we are digital natives. We were born into this. We were born to do exactly this, and we're very well positioned to um, be part of the industry for the next you know, several decades. Yeah, and I, I also wanted to ask about your history with uh, Sound Exchange. As we've said, it is kind of a digital-first company and a younger company in consideration of you know the large history of the music business. Um, can you tell us about how Sound Exchange was formed? Sure. Uh, so we are uh, we're actually a nonprofit made up by the industry. Uh, there's this right that we first started to administer, which was. Um, if, you know, the, the music industry has a publishing side and a sound recording side, and there never used to be any rights when a sound recording was performed, right? So, for instance, FM radio, you probably all know when you listen to FM radio, they make $12 billion a year off the music, and they pay the songwriter as they should, but they don't pay the recording artist because there is no performance right for the, for the recording. That changed in 95. The record industry finally got this little digital right. And so the industry, uh, several years later, created Sound Exchange. We are of the industry. Our board is made up of half record labels, half artists. We have the biggest record labels, indie record labels, trade associations, artists. Both of the unions uh, are on our board, SAG after and AFM. So we essentially are, we are the recorded music industry. We, everyone on there is represented. And, uh, and we, you know, we speak with one voice. We do what's best for the industry, even if it might not be perfect for this particular constituency on that issue. You know, they may not love it, but, um, but if they recognize it's, it's for the greater good. And so we are, uh, to sum it up, we were created by the industry to do this very thing that we do and help make digital work better. I love that. So... I think looking forward, it seems like there's no signs of stopping of how many new artists are coming into the fold, how many more new songs. The, the, the breadth of what's coming out is only going to get bigger. Um, can you guys talk to me a little bit about generative AI and how that might impact uh, the songwriter and how they make music and how quickly they're able to put it out? Do you mind starting? Sure. Here? Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. I mean, it's such a new new topic for musicians, but... Um, it just makes sense, honestly, that, um, you know, technology is able to, um, you know, have some sort of automated element where it gathers information and then it outputs some sort of product. And, um, you know, I think that, that humans are operating on a similar, you know, level where we're all inspired by different things and it, and it comes into our brain and then we put it out in our own special way. Um, and I think that, you know, for us to reject AI, you know, is to... Um, just kind of miss the boat a bit. I think that there's a lot of really uh, helpful tools for, for artists, um, especially I, I can see in the next five to ten years um, that AI is going to, to slowly become more integrated into, you know, I, I've been in a lot of songwriting sessions, and I can only imagine, you know, how, how that might change just, you know, with with tools that can help and, and speed up the process um, of creativity because um, honestly, the way I've experienced it is like you have about two hours in the studio where you're extremely inspired, the song's just coming to you, and then everything after that is kind of um, methodical, in my opinion. It's like as an independent artist, I'm doing most things myself, and so you have that creative moment, and then you fill it up around it. And so 
um, it is kind of just like inputting something and then getting, you know, the output. Um, you know, as much as we like to, to call it creativity, a lot of times, sometimes it's just from learning and gathering information. And so uh, I think that, you know, we've, we've been operating in that mind space for a while. And um, it's something that, that artists should use as a tool. Um, I don't think that it will replace artists just yet. Maybe if we fast forward a few decades, maybe it'll, it'll start to do something like that. But um, right now, I think it's a great tool. And I think artists uh, should, should move with it and see what happens. Yeah, and it's obviously a hot topic. Um, there's, there's a panel or two on AI here in South By. You know, from the industry perspective, there's actually, um, at, I think at 5 o'clock, there's actually going to be another panel where uh, they're going to talk about um, industry, uh, industry coalition that Sound Exchange is part of that is putting out some sort of principles that, about responsible AI and how AI should fold out. And I think AI is, first off, let's not, Let's not forget. I mean, it has it's a seismic moment for the industry, I believe. For sure. You know, think back to the Napster days and what that meant for the industry and how they reacted. I think AI is uh, of equal. We're going to look back in 20 years and this is going to be a, a equal or larger event. And it's, you know, it's it's got like risk and opportunity on on, you know, there there the industry is worried on on one hand about, well, look, if AI is training on all these copyrighted content, it's only right that you know that those content owners, the people that make that content, should participate. You know, if they helped contribute to the output. And similarly, if AI uh, pushes something out, you know, there are big questions about can it be copyrighted? You probably all saw the Copyright Office came out yesterday. Yesterday, I think, uh, with uh, some advisory that just follows their rule. You uh, you have to be a human to be copyright to have a copyright. Um, and the industry's worried about what's going to happen with this vast explosion of all these tracks, especially in the streaming world. You know, streaming fraud is an issue out there. People are populating these services, which are the huge part. Remember, 85% of the industry is streaming. And there are, there are actors out there trying to game the system, put up uh, problematic tracks, tracks that I think we would all say are, are deceptive, and AI might you know, make that problem 10 times worse. So on the one hand, we have to be careful about it. But on the other hand, I totally agree with Jake. It is a technology. It, we're, not, we're not stopping it, OK? AI is not going away. It's, it's the river's coming, and you can't just you know, stop a river. So the question is, how can the tech community, the creative community, uh, and others work together for a business solution? I, I think that you know, running to Congress is probably the last place you want to go to try to fix this. Congress is not particularly well equipped to deal with these issues. They're a little slow. They're a little, a little slow. A little. You know, copyright legislation nowadays is the result of just negotiation between the parties. It, you know, it's outdated before it even goes into effect. The courts, similarly. So I, my hope is that, they're, that you know, the creative side, the tech side can get together and find a business solution to this. Uh, and, you know, Sound Exchange is very interested in I think we are positioned to, you know, be part of that discussion and play a role on where, wherever this goes. Yeah. So do you think that the industry has actually learned from what happened with Napster and the switch over to digital? Do you sense that there's a bit of a more of an acceptance of change and to move with change or not? Yeah, I think the industry has learned. You know, the, the Napster, uh, the Napster story is a bit more nuanced than most people realize. You know, sure. most people don't know when Napster first broke, the industry actually went to Sean Fanning and said, "Hey, this is really cool technology, but you know, it's copyright infringement. We'd like to work with you." So they actually made efforts to, uh, and then they tried to do a whole bunch of other things 
uh, that ultimately didn't work, and that's why they ended up, you know, suing the users. So it, it's a more nuanced story than a lot of people believe. But I do think the industry has learned, you know, business solutions are best. You can't completely stop a, a wave of uh, public behavior, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, creators that I hear at South by are very open to AI, and they're going to use it. Uh, and I, uh, you know, clearly it's it's going to be a big part of our culture. So I do think the industry, they're they're very they're pretty tech savvy. I mean, the industry, the record industry, the publishing industry, artists, songwriters, sound exchange, you know, we're we're all um, very tech focused. So I, I think it's a very different world than it was in nineteen. 99. Yeah, gotcha. I, and I'm wondering, Jake, has there been any tools that you've played around with so far as far as generative AI goes, or is that something you're looking towards the future for? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think, so I've, I've, I've used a couple things just to try it out. Nothing's actually made it into one of my songs yet, but I, I've found myself thinking of, you know, what's a solution for boring, menial tasks that um, could just give me something to to work quicker. You know, I'm always just trying to to keep things moving because uh, you know, as a creative, I I just tend to want to jump onto the next thing as quickly as possible. But you also have to be balanced, and you know, that's the one songwriter's curse is you have a thousand ideas and nothing's finished. And so um, that's always the battle I'm trying to fight. Um, but yeah, I've 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 thought of some different things, and um, I think the the greatest tool that um, I think as I try out new things. Um, I'll be looking for different AI that gives me a lot of different options, and then I can creatively choose what what I believe fits best and what fits my message. Whether that be you know generating generating a bunch of uh, interesting lyrics, you know, and then you you kind of take one idea and you run with it, um, or generating some some chord progressions of some sort, and then you adjust it as you see fit. But I, I think that you know it's taking a lot of um, just time-consuming, like, small menial efforts and just uh, helping the songwriter, you know, because that's my focus is how do I write great songs. It just helps things move faster. Got it. So it's more like a jumping-off point maybe than a fully completed song. For sure, yeah. Okay. Can I ask as well, because, you know, uh, Kristen was asking earlier about um, having to create content, the burden of creating content. And, you know, something I'm, I'm not, I don't do what you do, but something that occurs to me is, coming up with, you know, what you need to input to social, you know, six, seven, eight, ten times a day. I mean, it seems to me there's an opportunity there to use some of this uh, technology as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's always been the tension is, um, you know, I, I found a most valuable in the studio writing songs. That's just where I thrive and I love music. Um, and anytime that I'm outside of the studio, whether it's filming content, you know, I can enjoy that. And but I'll be real with myself. I know that you know, my time is best spent in the studio. And so I, I'm definitely always wrestling with that of like, you know, are there ways to create content and promote my music um, without me actually having to give a ton of my time to it? Because, you know, to film and get takes and all this stuff, um, you know, as a songwriter primarily, um, you know, I'm always looking for ways to, to you know, speed up that process and get, um, you know, and we're, we're even looking into, you know, just kind of the virtual world of, of you know, like, are people okay with um, it not being me on the camera? Can I, you know, input a story that I want to give and it, in a sense, be me, but not have to take me away from writing songs for those right. 
you know, those fans, because I, I know that my fans ultimately want more music and they want more content, but um, the content tends to take me away from the music. So it's a, it's a balance. Yeah, it sounds like a, a difficult line to walk. Um, and I, I remember you recently said in an interview that you were interested in maybe moving away from the traditional model of releasing a full album and maybe just releasing a lot more singles. Um, why do you think that that would be a good approach in today's music economy? Yeah, I think um, people like back in the day, you know, you would have to, anytime you release something, um, you'd have to print a ton of copies and, you know, like what's out there is out there. And so you have to take a lot of time and make sure it's perfect because you're about to spend tons of money to, to put it out. Whereas um, nowadays you can post up an unfinished song and, you know, see if people like it. And so I think that, you know, the idea of having to commit to, this ideal album um, really boxes in creators as as tough as it is. Like I think that um, you know, releasing a song, just even a snippet, really gives the creator um, a good feel for for what people like and what people don't like. And I I think that's a good thing. Um, and and for me, I've just found that um, I can connect with all sorts of different audiences by um, just testing this out, throw this out, and see w what clicks with what audience. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of why I've made a, an adjustment. I've, I've definitely pivoted towards, um, you know, being more single focused and, and trying out innovative ideas. Got it. And I think we're getting to the point in this presentation where we want to hear y'all's questions. So go ahead. If you have a question that you'd like to ask, we have this mic in the middle here. Don't be shy. Um, but I wanted to kind of wrap up this part while people are coming forward by asking you uh, just kind of one thing that you're really excited about as far as uh, like technology goes in the next couple of years. Is there anything that's really uh, exciting as a musician and as a business person? You want to go first? Yeah. Okay. Um, a thing that we're talking a lot about is is Web3, you know, and I uh, that's a term that people throw around and has different meanings, but I think five, six, eight years from now, there's going to be a whole different way that many people, not everybody, but many people, especially, you know, the younger uh, generations, connect with artists. And, you know, for, and that fascinates uh, us at SoundExchange because, as I said, you know, we're digital natives, we... Um, we are built to uh, power the future of the industry, and you know we will intend to play a role in where that goes. But it's things like, you know, currently when you think about a streaming service, it's really wide but shallow, right? So it's 70 million, 80 million, 120 million tracks, but all you get are the sound files, maybe some lyrics, maybe some artwork. And when I think of Web 2, you know, it's much more artist-centric. It might be narrower but deeper. So maybe you don't need 100 million tracks. Maybe if you're a consumer, you just want your 15 favorite acts on there, but you want to go deep. You want to do the virtual concerts. You want to have the interaction that Jake was talking about. You want to comment on the stems. Um, you know, heck, maybe you have a concert in Web 3.0 where, where your artist picks the ending, you know, picks the set list. Or you're making a song and you get crowdsourced from your biggest fans, you know, the last lyric or the bridge. I don't know. These are, these are really interesting things to think about. So the, the different ways that artists can practice their craft and the better experience for the consumers that's that's coming five years from now that's i think fascinating yeah for sure and to jump off that i think you know one of the things that i'm excited for when it comes to technology and just how i plan to use it in the future you know i think um the industry has been operating 
um, you know, in a, in a certain way for a long time. And it's required artists to, to jump through a lot of hoops to, to reach their fans. You know, you got to travel, you got to do this and that. And I think, you know, Web3 is, is giving an opportunity for um, there to be less friction. You know, a lot of artists, um, they just get so tired of the road and it's so tough for them. And then, you know, they end up getting burnt out and they leave a lot of fans um, just really distraught over that. Like, that's just a tough thing. And, um, you know, the fans don't want to see the artist's mental health you know, crash down. And so um, just just thinking of new ways to use technology to benefit the artist and ultimately give a, a more personal experience for the fan. I just I, I'm just really excited about that. And I think um, everybody's going to be better for it. I love that. Why don't you go ahead and ask? Hi, my name's Corey. Could you get a little closer to the mic? Yeah, I'm also like uh, <laughs> taller than the, the current stand. <laughs> me too. Me too. But this is a good this is a good power stance. I like that. Um, my question is: uh, You're you're an independent artist. You work with independent artists. Uh, as an independent artist myself, I'm always interested to learn how other independent artists are managing their time. You know what I mean? Because I self-manage, songwrite, produce, but then I do love visual content, or I've I've loved the concept that um, that you can really build a world around a song, mm. you know what I mean, or build a world around like a body of work, mm. you know what I mean? Because those are, I feel like those are also kind of like lost arts too, sure. you know what I mean? Like the idea of a real era uh, where you know you spend time making these songs, you know, pouring your heart out, and then you want to actually be able to tell your story, not to the point where, you know, they're receiving that uh, in your way, so they're not able to absorb it on their own, but enough to help uh, guide and facilitate. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, so what are some of the things that uh, you guys are doing to help uh, facilitate that process? Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, the, the part that stuck out to me is, you know, like, how am I using my time as an independent artist? That's something that um, I think, you know, a lot. it'll be helpful for a lot of independent artists to hear is, um, you know, I think there's such, a, there's such a heavy weight on independent artists to write music and promote it. And I think um, as of right now, like, I've spent a lot of my time, and I spent years actually just working on the craft before, um, you know, I really start to put in work on the content side. And so um, something that was really helpful for me was, like, just focus on the music, because regardless of how good the promotion is, if the music isn't there, you know, people aren't going to grab onto it. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, would, I would say to the artist that hasn't, um, if, if they haven't had a lot of success yet, I would say continue to focus on the music. That's most important by far. And then um, just spend a little bit of time here and there testing it out on TikTok, um, on any, any social media, and see you know, what the response is. And that will tell you where you should spend more time. If it starts to catch fire, then, you know, you might want to spend a little bit more time promoting the song. Um, but, but yeah, I think it depends day to day and season to season. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully that helps. But if you have anything... I'd yeah, add. I mean, you're still a little bit of what I was going to say. But, um, <laughs> Sorry. you know, um, uh, one thing that, that I think artists can sometimes... You need to be authentic. You need to do what you want to do because authenticity has always had value, but mm. it is more important than ever, in part because of the connection that Jake's been talking about. You know, when you're that connected with someone, you're having these you know, much more personal uh, interchanges. People can smell inauthenticity a mile away. And you know, uh, so you have to be true to what you 
believe is your craft and what your voice is, and then, and then live with what happens, right? If you rise or fall on it, because you try to be somebody that you aren't. Um, but in terms of all the other, and then two other thoughts I had, you know, one thing that when I talk to artists, like everything is potential content. Everything you do mm, can be of interest like to people, that. everything. Um, but to actually master all of it, it's, it's kind of like Jake was saying, it's a complicated industry. And um, I would say, don't do it all on your own. You need to have some people around you who can deal with some of the more complex stuff that might be either more mundane or less valuable or less part of your craft. Mm. Uh, so you can go to your highest, best purpose, which may be songwriting, maybe recording, you know, maybe producing if you're a producer. Um, there's, it's, it's to, to, if you can find a trusted party who can help you with some of that other stuff that's not your sweet spot, um, don't be afraid to do it. So, thank you, guys. Yes, sir. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm Ace. Um, my question is, we spent some time talking about how AI enhances the accessibility for music creation, and it just allows a lot of people to get into the industry. Um, but what I foresee is with everyone getting, you know, like with more creators, um, as you said, musicians are brands now. So I foresee a bottleneck at other areas in their career, like there's not as many venues to support all these artists or as many brand partnerships to go around. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, so I guess my question is, uh, does it become, well, do you agree that there will be a bottleneck after the point of artists getting into the music industry? And are there applications of this technology, you think, in other areas, um, such as brand partnerships or the live sector that could help alleviate that bottleneck? Well, um, it's a really good point because the, the space is going to get crowded. When you talk about not as many venues, I'm, I'm, I feel compelled to say, well, in, in Web3, there, there are limitless venues, right? right? You know, if you think about uh, in, interacting virtually, uh, that can help address some of that. Um, but, uh, but you're absolutely right. You're, it's, it, the more people that you have out there, you have to figure out how to distinguish yourself so you can rise above the, the noise, I guess, is one way to think about it. Yeah, for sure. And I would, yeah, double down on that to say, um, you know, there's, I, I think the industry is really going to twist and change towards being song-centered rather than artist-centered. I mean, you, you go back, like, a couple decades, and you'll see, you know, there's, like, these... these you know, main artists who are really running the show and they're they're earning the bulk of the money. Um, and then you know, there's a there's a decent gap there. There's some in the middle, but um, now there's just going to be, I believe, songs popping off left and right. And you know, I've found that my main goal is to write amazing music and and somehow peek through all of the noise that's going on around me. And you know, the moment that I can't uh, garner that attention. Um, and, you know, it usually comes down to the music. You know, if the music is great, people will pay attention. But the moment that that goes away, um, you know, there's someone right there ready to take your spot. And so I think it's going to be more competitive um, in, in that space of just, like, the Internet. Everybody's trying to get your attention. The question is going to be who's, who's the best at, you know, getting that attention. And, and it really is, you know, you mentioned uh, Song Center. That's a great point. Um, and, you know, everybody wants the golden hour or a hero or whatever it may be. But there's a lot of folks out there um, uh, where it's almost more passive listening. Some people come home at the end of the day and they don't even ask for a song. They ask for a mood, right? Hey, you know. Siri, play whatever, Cocktails at 5, or I might, my workout music. So mm -hmm. 
um, which I think is kind of a bummer, to be honest. I, I, I don't, it's, I don't, I hope that doesn't go too far where, where people are more interested in the emotive description of a work than the, the artist like Jake that made it. Um, but that's something you got to think about. Um, uh, to, you, you have to break through all that, like you said, to, to, to stand out and, and not, not let that person nipping at your heels take your place. For sure. Got it. Thank you. Hey, guys. <clears throat> oh, hello. Hey, my name is Emilio. I'm also from Providence. Grew up, oh, cool. in, grew up in the area. Love that. It's wicked awesome. <laughs> wicked awesome. And I'm a musician. I also produce festivals. And I, I'm actually launching a platform called Portal. That's a creator platform about direct uh, connection between creators and their communities. And so my question is, uh, with ad tech platforms like TikTok and Instagram uh, kind of furthering the divide between uh, who's doing well and who's not doing well, and destroying sort of the middle class of music. Um, are you interested in participating in uh, platforms that are about building direct con connection between creators and their communities, both you know, monetarily, but uh, on the long term? I mean, you're very young. The algorithms keeps changing, and you know, mm. building a, a sustainable community in a business. That's uh, I'm curious about your opinions on things like Patreon or our platforms called Portal. Anybody that's creating more of like long-term sustainable businesses online? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a great question. Um, I think. What I've what I've been doing a lot is is using you know the platforms like TikTok, like IG Reels. Now um, that's where you know the truth is. A lot of people are just watching. I find myself accidentally scrolling for a long time, and that's where you know the eyes are at. And so there's a place for that. Um, but I think we find a lot of um, these artists that come up just from being in that space. Um, they lack that deep personal connection, and so. Um, you know, I, I think TikTok and Instagram and these other, you know, bigger companies are working on making that, you know, personal connection like available so that there's not like, oh, we have to take you to this place and to that place. Um, but, you know, I really appreciate those other places because right now it is difficult to, to connect deeply uh, with my, my fans and the people who listen to my music. Um, and so, yeah, I'm always on a mission to um, have a personal experience with them. And, you know, if it's not just the music, hopefully I'll be able to interact with them in some other way. And so, um, yeah, I'm all about trying different things. And, um, yeah, I think it's, it's very important that it's not just a big view number, you know, like how many millions of views can you get? It's not just that, but it's also how deep um, can you go? It's like rather than, than up, it's wide as well and really and deep. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Just a quick follow up on that. Um, have you considered platforms where you directly monetize, like with your audience, so that you know if the algorithms do change, you have this uh, sustainable business that you've built? Yeah, I think you know something that I've I've reminded myself um, recently. The question is like, oh no, like what happens if if TikTok disappears? You know what happened? And we were really thinking that you know twenty twenty. Um, you know, almost was, happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some stuff happened and it was, it was a little scary. Um, but one thing that I realized is that people will always want great music. Um, uh, people will always, um, you know, follow wherever the, the amazing art is. And so I realized that as I just continue to focus on my music, um, and not be too concerned about, um, you know, what platform is where I think that, you know, a, a good independent artist is able to adjust with the times. And so um, I, I think that my main focus has to be on the music and then, you know, still just keeping my eyes open, seeing where things are headed. But that's a, a great point. I think every artist should be looking out for that. And I'll say one other thing, you know, 
all of these platforms are more interrelated than people think. So for instance, you know, uh, SoundExchange doesn't pay directly on TikTok. Um, but TikTok impacts so many people we do pay because what's happening on TikTok, spill, TikTok spills over onto the, <laughs> whoops, onto the other, sorry, late night, uh, <laughs> spills over onto the, you know, the other platforms. I mean, SiriusXM has a TikTok channel. It's got a Pandora channel. You know, social drives uh, these platforms and these platforms impact social. So, um, you know, from our perspective, it's all great. Technology, they're all tools. And if they work, they work. Um, you know, technology should always only just be a tool because it's all about the music. The one thing I will say, though, you mentioned like you know Patron, uh, Patreon, and and you know the. the I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a late night. Has like it been a late night? <laughs> TikToks, Patron, Patron was. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> that's great, and you know I think that's a great thing. The one thing I do want to say on that, I, I hope we don't get to the point where artists are relegated to tip jars, right? Um, they are such a crucial asset to our culture and to all of these platforms that fans should be able to do what they do and they should be able to tip them or, or be, you know, be a sponsor. But the, the platforms that are making a lot of money and creating immense wealth, they deserve, some of that deserves to go to the artists too and the creators because those platforms wouldn't be there if it weren't for the creators. Yeah, sure. uh, yeah, and on those platforms, uh, the big tech ones, 99% of the money goes to the company and to the top 0.01% of artists. So yep. that's why I think it's important we have uh, subscription platforms too. Yeah. Yep, yep, Thank totally you. agree. Yeah, Thank thanks you. so much. Hi, um, I'm Sam Wu. Um, this question is for Jake. Um, just we've been talking about like the accessibility of fans and stuff and how the internet is great for that um, And I'm just thinking from the point of view of an artist since I, I produce and write as well um, how have you taken the online community of your peers and You know the bedroom pop like it's just you how do you turn that into like you have real-life peers? musicians that you talk to and have like tangible relationships with that aren't just online yeah, for sure. It's a great question. Um, I think one of the things that I had a hard time with was like coming up. Um, it was always like, you know, I wish this person would take a chance on me. Like I'm trying to reach out to this and that person. And I spent a lot of time, you know, just just really trying to reach reach up to to create a community and maybe they'll pull me up. And what I realized was that, you know, the reason why um, these people up here don't tend to reach down and help out too often is because naturally the people who are tenacious and who are willing to, to work on the craft, you're going to naturally raise yourself up. And so I have, I have a mentality that I, I consistently um, share with my team is like, um, let's not re be reaching up. Um, let's, let's build ourselves up and reach to the side um, and, and just be where we are and be in the moment. Um, because the moment that you're reaching um, is probably the moment that that you're focused on the wrong thing. And so um, I would say, you know, like as I'm c connecting with different artists and now it's been sick, like I've been able to collab with all sorts of people who I've looked up to for years and I've been just waiting to to hopefully connect with them. Now it's just like, you know, it, it makes a little bit more sense. And I feel that artists now have the option to to make their own things start happening. And, you know, you don't have to rely on these connections or this big play um, to, to pull you to the next level um, because, you know, anybody can can post their music and it can randomly go viral. And so that, that takes out the need for a community. But that being said, 
community is so helpful, and it actually has, has really protected me from making poor decisions. And so I would say use whoever's around you to encourage you and, you know, just share your knowledge with people and, and listen to other people's knowledge. It's, it's really important. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you guys so much. Unfortunately, we are out of time. I'm so sorry. Um, if you guys want to come up and talk later, we'll, we'll be outside. Um, but thank you all so much for joining us. This is the Creator Boom. Thank you.